Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm your host, Ross Gallagher. In today's episode, we're asking, are SMEs really being served? One of the earliest gaps in the market that Fintech looked to fill was addressing the banking services of underserved, small and medium-sized enterprises. Nearly a decade into that journey, it's time to take stock of those early promises and see what has been done to help SMEs on both sides of the Atlantic. With some of the harshest economic times now on the horizon, will financial services step up to the challenges for their customer base? Today, we've put together a panel of experts to look at the current solutions and progress made, the challenges that we still need to overcome, and then what the future may hold. We'll discuss all of this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Please don't go anywhere. Your favourite fintech insiders are back in London for After Dark Homecoming. Join us at Village Underground on Wednesday, 21st of September, where we'll be taking things back to the beginning and recording our new show live. You can secure your spot now at 11fs.com forward slash After Dark. That is 11fs.com forward slash After Dark. We look forward to seeing you there. Okay, let's get started. As always, I am joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some really interesting light on this topic. Um, first off, I'm joined by Keshvi Radia, Head of Product Payments at Alica Bank. So Keshvi, welcome back to the show. Maybe can you just give us a little bit of a reminder about Alica Bank and, and also you and your role there? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Ross. It's great to be back. Um, so Alica Bank is a bank in the UK. We're a challenger bank. We're bit smaller than the big high street names. Um, And what we're looking to do is reinvent the way that banking in the UK looks, particularly for what we call established SMEs. So your 50k plus turnover or or 10 plus employees, the slightly more more complex, interesting, weird and wonderful SMEs out there. Um, My role at Alica within that uh, as head of product for payments is I'm responsible for our transactional banking line. So that's things like current accounts um, and anything else in that space. Uh, Super exciting because we're actually just about to launch our first uh, transactional product. So great timing to be on the podcast too. Oh, perfect timing and really looking forward to, yeah, getting into it, Kashfi. So great to have you. Um, and next, we have uh, a debut, actually, on Fintech Insider for Kevin Phillips, the Executive Vice President for Novo. Kevin, welcome to the show. Maybe again, can you give us just a little bit of an intro, both uh, both about Novo and about yourself? Absolutely. And first, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so I've been in Fintech for 25 years, um, originally uh, spent time with a company called S1, where they actually invented online banking. And for many of us, we don't think of a world that there was before there was online banking, uh, but actually somebody had invented. Um, recently, I spent a decade with a small business lender in the States called Cabbage, uh, where um, served in a number of senior roles as we started the company, was the CTO and built out the platform that we use for the lending, moved into the role of CFO, uh, so I personify FinTech. Uh, from my personal background, and then uh, moved to capital markets as that became the focus of the business, and then finally into strategy and corp dev. Um, I uh, am currently with Novo uh, Platform, where a uh, fintech platform that provides a digital checking account to small businesses in the United States. 
Um, we've put together 175,000 customers at this point, and um, we're recently named to the uh, one of the 2022 Forbes FinTech 50. So we've uh, had a bit of success recently. Yeah, congratulations. Um, a really exciting time for you guys. And uh, Kevin, great to have you with us um, as we sort of, yeah, deep dive into this topic. All right, well, that's the intro. So let's... Uh, Let's dive in and let's start by maybe looking at how things look today in terms of what fintech support is available for businesses, for SMEs. And I guess, um, Kevin, you sort of alluded to a, a life before fintech, which might blow some people's minds, but <laughs> I'm assured it did exist, but maybe how that's evolved over time. So, um, Kevin, maybe I'll start with you. Let's just sort of set the scene a little bit. I think SMEs is a pretty broad term and can mean different things to different people. I guess what does what does SME mean to you? What does it mean to Nova? Maybe what are your what, what does your average customer look like? Sure. So you're right. Uh, SME covers uh, in in the United States. It's anyone from a sole proprietor up to someone with 500 employees, and the services and the challenges of at those two extremes is, is, is significant. Um, <clears throat> suffice to say that um, a 500-person company or a 499-person company has uh, access to a lot more uh, financial services than, than the sole proprietor does or the you know, one to five. For us, our customers are the proverbial you know, uh, butcher baker and candlestick maker. They're the, the um, everybody who on a high street uh, in England, uh, all the little shops, those are the target customers. In the United States, it's the ballet school that uh, you may take your daughter to ballet lessons. It's the software engineer who is a contractor and instead of an employee or the marketing agency that's uh, got a couple of people or the small town lawyer. Um, these are constantly challenged. They don't have a staff of people to go deal with the uh, financial services industry. Um, they are, generally speaking, our target market is less than 100 employees. But if you look at the data that you'll see that the vast majority of the 32 million small businesses in the United States, 20 some of them have less than five employees. Um, and so you have to build a platform that services those small businesses. I like to describe it as they say the question is the juice worth the squeeze. One of the challenges, it's expensive to acquire a small business because they don't all hang out in the same place. And yet they don't have a lot of revenue that you can extract uh, from them in return for your services. So you have to come up with solutions that are uh, very low marginal cost in order to survive. But I would say that yes, over the last decade, services have improved, uh, but for the most part, they are still very vastly under under uh, served. Yeah, which I just think is, and and you've actually already sort of, I suppose, gotten into the nub a little bit of of, of sort of why that is when you talk to the the, the sort of marginal cost element, um, cost to serve, etc. But you meant you referenced sort of thirty two million of these businesses in the US alone. I mean, this is the the backbone of economies around the world, right? So to think that they are as dramatically underserved, even still as they are, um, really is it, it, it sort of puts things into a, a pretty bleak perspective. Um, Kashfi, I'd love to sort of um, almost just sort of send the same question your way in terms of like, how do you guys sort of consider, how do you sort of understand SMEs and then what are maybe some of the challenges that uh, that you guys are seeing and that are sort of front of mind? Yeah, of course. So 
Alica is is kind of slightly different in that, I mean, particularly in the UK, the SME market in fintech is already quite crowded. There's a lot of people doing a lot of really good things. So, so what we've uh, what we've said and, and the way that we've uh, differentiated ourselves um, is to say we're we're not going to go and support those sole traders, those two or three people, because there's some fantastic players like Tide, Coconut, you know, you name it. Um, what we're going after is we've invented a new acronym, ESMES, Established Small and Medium-Sized Enterprises. I know we didn't need any more, but there you go. Um, and uh, and, and we're, we're really going for those businesses. What they look like is, um, you know, it might be a very small regional chain of bakeries. They've already got uh, two or three locations. They're looking for a fourth and, and they're looking for a mortgage to, to f- kind of finance that, that scaling. Um, or it's a um, kind of uh, relatively medium-sized car park manufacturer in the northeast of England you know it's, it's those types of businesses um, that are kind of sitting in, in that squeezed middle um, where you can't really scale up a consumer proposition and, and, and get it get it to hold both economically but also you know technically um, and it's going to be way too expensive to service them like corporates and just throw people at the problem so it, it's that really cool squeezed middle segment um, where you've got a lot of complexity um, but actually, you need to find some ways to simplify that, uh, make it scalable um, and enable uh, as a business model for that to succeed. I've forgotten the second part of your question now. Could you remind me? Well, no, you've, you've actually already answered it. I think it was it was, ah, it was sort of, yeah, no, you've done, <laughs> you, you, but without even realizing. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it was it was to do with those challenges. And actually, I think you referred to it as that squeeze middle. And I think this is something that we hear about a lot. Those those businesses that that sort of are reasonably well established, like you said, have growth potential, are looking to scale. And actually, I've heard all sorts of stories about businesses that that fall into that sort of segment where, you know, they can't, they simply can't access sort of SME lending. And so they have no other route to go down the the sort of corporate route. But what's really interesting is they end up sort of almost being forced into a position where they end up taking a lot more financing than they would have really actually wanted initially because they, they're sort of forced down that corporate route. So I guess that's something that you guys see a lot is, is, is that sort of challenge. Kevin, I guess back to you then. We sort of touched on this a little bit in your, um, your, your previous answer, but it feels like the, the sort of gap, right, the um, Anovo and others are, are starting to fill now for SMEs. That was almost left on the table. That value was left on the table by those sort of established providers. Um, why? Why do you sort of think that is, or, or how has that situation sort of come about? What are some of those underlying problems? Sure, um, I think part of it is as in the '80s and '90s, as in the United States, as the banking system sort of rolled up into national either super regional or national banks. And it's it's hard for many people that have never been in the States to understand how vast uh, the country is. Uh, but you historically had small town banks. They served, you knew your banker, your banker knew you. Um, not that they were ever geared towards true small businesses, but as we rolled up into national banks, uh, the connection that you had with your banker disappeared. The challenge for a bank of any size to um, to serve these small businesses is they're not th- th- there's not a lot of revenue to be had in them. 
They're not as predictable as we are as consumers, where we have a paycheck every couple of weeks and or pay packet, and uh, those deposits allow them to leverage and earn money. We're not a big corporation where we have lots of money to spend and expect and will pay fees for services. And so there's this, think of a, a barbell where the vast majority of these small businesses they, they, they actually need some services more than the ability to write a check, uh, but, um, aren't in a position to pay much for those services. And I think that has a lot to do with it prior to, and I think most people would agree that, uh, traditional banks generally don't have leading edge technology. Um, and so with the advent of, uh, Amazon's AWS and various cloud services, you can now provide, uh, technology relatively inexpensively to these uh, these customers, which allows fintechs to come along and step in to try and fill this gap. I, I love that point. And I, I think that's exactly it. I think what what we sometimes forget is that, you know, that, that in branch, that sort of bricks and mortar experience for most people was was quite a positive experience. Like you said, you had that that human interaction, that sort of familiarity with the people in the branch, and you could generally go in there and accomplish what it was that you wanted to accomplish, right? And then I think a lot of the the big players approach that sort of digitization piece almost with a view to sort of like minimizing costs. It was like cost reduction rather than trying to deliver a great experience. Now, Kashvi, I think it's interesting because you've already mentioned about you know, the the fintechs that have come to market here in the UK, the coconuts, the tides, and how that sort of like the small end of the SME spectrum in the UK is actually relatively well serviced from like a, a fintech perspective. But then, like you said um, before, we've, we've almost sort of like that squeeze middle, like you said, just hasn't been um, serviced in the same way. So, you know, sort of why do you think that is? And, and, and sort of how do we how do we start to move beyond that and actually give them the services that they need? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think Kevin really hit the nail on the head there in terms of banks using technology to drive a wedge between them and their customers rather than bringing them closer to their customers. I think this is particularly relevant for SMEs where there's a lot of regional variation, a lot of industry variation. You really need someone who understands the kind of microcosm that the business sits in. Um, in order to be able to service them well, because actually an off-the-shelf product, you know, nine times out of 10 might not be exactly right for them. Um, and I think that's becoming even more apparent with the current cost of living crisis that's hitting us globally. You know, the, the way that that crisis is hitting these these different businesses is varying ever so slightly every time. And they all need, uh, you know, someone who actually understands their business model to really give them what they need. Um, I think there's a, a real missed opportunity. Um, we've got such fantastic technology. You know, we were all using Zoom during the pandemic. Um, why can't we leverage technology to bring us closer to our customers rather, rather than putting it in the middle? Um, at the end of the day, uh, banks are really people and data. That's something our CEO Alika says very often, but they need to work together properly, right? And, and you, you shouldn't just push on one lever and not the other because um, ultimately we're all human and, uh, and, and the businesses need to be understood fr- from a human perspective. Yeah, man, I think that's such a lovely point. And of course, like technology is such an enabler in that context, right? Which I think is what we keep talking about. I'm interested, maybe Kevin, just in, in terms of what you guys are seeing. Um, Keshvi mentioned the pandemic. So off the back of the pandemic, are you guys seeing in terms of your customers like 
more of an openness, more of a willingness to sort of embrace technology and sort of actually like engage in that way and really, really leverage those benefits. Yes, I think one of the things that the pandemic forced uh, was as we became very isolated physically, we all as humans looked to some way to make connections uh, and became much more facile with technology. And so the number of entrepreneurs or small businesses, while they're certainly not financiers and may not know what an Excel spreadsheet is, they are very comfortable now using technology to conduct many aspects of their lives that three years ago they wouldn't have considered. So the, the, there is some good that has come out of the pandemic. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and, and in terms of the, the potential there and the potential for the future, I mean, it's, uh, that's good, that's optimistic. So yeah, if, 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 if the you, pandemic... When you sort of knock over the basket or throw everything up in the air, it, it creates while it creates chaos and, and uh, pain and losses, it also creates an entire new opportunity for, and what we've seen in, in this country is this vast wave of new business formations uh, that are taking advantage of the new opportunities and circumstances. All right, well, you know what? It's a really neat segue actually into our next section. So a nice optimistic note, I think, to go into looking at maybe where some of those uh, those challenges still are and that still need to be addressed. I guess, you know, Kevin, maybe sticking with you just to sort of ease us into this section with a sort of, uh, with a, a real lens on specifically what are some of those challenges that, that you guys customers are facing, that um, I suppose the market, the SMEs are facing more generally. What, what are some of the things that really stand out for you? Well, I think um, the one, the, uh, cost of living increases that we're facing um, around the world are particularly difficult on a small business in that they have limited market power. By definition, they're small. They can't force through. They don't have a monopoly. Um, Apple can price their iPhone and they have very little competition. Um, the, the local baker can't just keep passing those costs along. They start losing uh, their business. So I think that's probably the chief challenge that we face um, in, uh, I think, would say almost globally for small businesses is, is they and they don't have the economic cushion that a large company has where they can draw against some uh, they, money that they, they've been able to uh profits they've been able to produce over time. In this country, a typical small business has less than two weeks of cash on hand, um, which we saw in the pandemic at the start when the world shut down within two weeks. There, most of them were faced with um, extinction at that point uh, from a business standpoint. I think the uh, particularly for in the U.S., um, the regulatory environment has uh, gotten more difficult for small businesses. Um, again, uh, the advantage of being a well-established business is you have people on staff that can uh, try to influence the regulation. But even if you're not big enough to do that, and the, you at least are aware of what's going on, the opportunity for a small business to stay abreast of the constantly uh, changing regulatory landscape is non-existent. And I think that creates massive challenges for the small businesses. Yeah, those are those are. Two really, I think, um, really important points. I think the the point that you made about the cost of living crisis in particular, I think it's often maybe ignored or at least sort of underappreciated the roles that these um, small businesses play in almost 
holding back the the sort of passing on the 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 rising cost of living directly to consumers i think they play an absolutely critical role there but i mean we've got inflation now like we haven't seen in a generation and it's just predicted to to continue to to rise at a a crazy level so you, you can really understand in that context the squeeze and the pressure that those businesses are going to be under um Kashvi, i guess sort of what are what are some of the um what are some of the, the challenges then that you're seeing that sort of m- more directly affect that those sorts of established businesses that, that you've sort of talked about? It's really interesting, actually, because the, our, our customers, A, I would say, have been living with a cost of living crisis for a lot longer than we as consumers have been seeing it. You know, as part of my job in product, I'm often interviewing customers or users. And actually, this is something they've been talking to us about for about 18 months now. Um, you know, the pandemic was the first first wave of it, but it's been something they've been worried about for a while. And they're almost getting it from all sides. Um, you know, rising cost of energy, um, rising cost of, of kind of the, uh, the, the supplies that they need uh, to run their businesses. Um, there's, there's some other impacts in the UK from, from Brexit and things like that. Uh, but on top of that, as consumers become more aware of how much they're spending on things, Maybe they're not going to go to that slightly more expensive SME on the high street that they were trying to support. They're going to go to the local supermarket that can afford to give them lower prices because of the economies of scale. Um, so, you know, from all sides, that they're getting hits. Um, and and it, it's something that I think really requires at the end of the day, as Kevin touched on, some kind of regulatory or government support and something quite targeted. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, you talk about something like corporation tax um, and bring that down. Really, that's just, just going to go straight into the, the pockets of the big corporates. Um, I, I think it's, it, it's, uh, we're in a quite a, a unique situation. Unfortunately, we seem to be going from crisis to crisis at the moment. Um, but uh, I think it is something that, that needs more, more central support. We really have, haven't we, lurched from crisis to crisis? Sorry, Kevin, jump in. I was going to say, uh, if you if you look at, I mean, this is a, a real challenge for the future of the various governments is the job creation and the innovation occurs in these small businesses, the ones that successfully become, that are good at it, end up becoming these established businesses and eventually become uh, large uh, corporations. But if we don't find a way to protect and, and or stimulate the growth uh, opportunities for these businesses, we as an economy as, uh, end up losing that innovation. Um, the, the, Apple was once a small little company. Hard to believe at this point, but they were incredibly innovative at this point in time. And there are other companies that are like that, that are, doing, that are creating the future of the world economy. Uh, today and the challenge is as they get crushed on the uh, cost basis, um, the challenge of hiring and retaining staff uh, employees in this country is tremendous. And these are challenges that uh, we as a society need to come to grips with. Otherwise, we will have a sea change in the amount of job growth and uh, economic growth that we face. Yeah, going back to, I think, what we what we already mentioned, I mean, these, 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 what are small businesses today? Already they constitute that sort of backbone of the economy. But actually, you need to, you need that bigger picture view, right? That longer term view around what these guys can become if we only sort of enable them, if we give them the support that they need to be able to do that. Um, Kashvi, I want to pick up on um, the point that you made about um, talking to 
customers and, and obviously sort of in your role doing that quite regularly. Uh, how has that sort of, I guess, conversation evolved, right, from like the pandemic through now to this cost of living crisis? And equally, what's confidence like among these these more established businesses? Are they more reluctant now to scale um, or are they are they kind of thinking, wow, this is so uncertain, we better set this out for a little bit, or I guess there's sort of opportunity and uncertainty. I'm, I'm just interested. So I think there's two things that, that I'm seeing kind of in terms of growing trends. The first one is that the, the time horizon that these businesses are looking at is becoming shorter and shorter. Um, you know, things are becoming more urgent. It's, it's a more critical cash flow conversation um, and, and there's less of an opportunity to think about that longer term strategy. What is my 12 to 18 month and beyond plan? Because they're, they're sitting there thinking, okay, how do I afford to keep the business going for the next few weeks and months? Um, so that completely changes decision making, the types of products that customers want and, and what they need. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is, you know, appetite for risk uh, is going down. And ultimately, what that means, especially for a fintech or a challenger bank is, you know, switching products, changing bank was always a tough conversation um, and always a cost. Uh, but now it's it's even less of one that um, that businesses are, are willing to take on. So it's an even tougher conversation in terms of that acquisition. You know, we're a fantastic new organization, but, you know, th- there's always going to be an inherent risk of switching banks. And on top of all the other problems that these customers have got, uh, it's just another one to add to the pile. That's, I mean, it's it's such an interesting insight. I mean, the fact that these businesses, right, in these in the, in the current climate, are thinking about really the the sort of immediate term, thinking about sort of battening down the hatches and trying to, you know, they've already got a long to do list of all of the things that they need to do just to sort of um, just to stay on top and just to keep their their head above water and, and and not thinking about those things. Really, Kevin, I suppose at this stage is is no great surprise, right? No, I think the uh, you know if if you look at those types of small businesses that uh, Novo targets, um, they're slightly smaller. They have less cash flow. Their time horizons are particularly shorter. Um, you know, the typical entrepreneur uh, will oftentimes wake up at three o'clock in the morning wondering how am I going to juggle? What am I going to juggle? Because I don't have enough cash to pay my employees and pay all the vendors because one of my critical customers is late paying me, for example. And sitting there through lying there in, in the middle of the night trying to figure out, well, who's not going to get paid? Uh, which vendor am I going to push off? Um, I think it's become more challenging um, as the cost of living increase because you've got it's it's as a as a true SME where you know your customers personally. It's hard to have when they look at the prices in your, in your shop as they go up or you've had to raise the prices of your food in your restaurant, it's very difficult to, to uh, do so when you're dealing with people, your customers or people you actually know. Yeah, and Kevin, how, um, I suppose, how realistic is it to expect um, fintechs to sort of come in and, and sort of plug all of these really enormous gaps? Um, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, specifically we've seen sort of Brex exit from the SME market, like how how viable is it, and 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 really how uh, how much can we really expect from from sort of fintechs? Because these are fundamental challenges, right? Yes, and I think the so so the the impact of Brex abandoning their original market is, eh, I mean, it's truly unfortunate for those customers. 
as Keshiva has said, you know, they have to now move. They weren't planning on, they've got a very long to-do list and now they have one more thing on their to-do list of, I got to change my, my uh, relationship here. Uh, so that's unfortunate, but I think the, what, what Brex fell for is the siren call of the bigger businesses. As, you know, I'll go back to the challenge with successfully serving small businesses is you have to be very low margin, very low cost. And so the good news is there's 32 million of them in this country. So if you can charge a small toll on each transaction, you get enough tolls across your platform, you can, you can, uh, make a very healthy company. But it's, it's at, at Cabbage, uh, uh, where, um, I, uh, worked in a number of roles. You know, the, the opportunity of, oh, if, if our goal is to originate a billion dollars of loans this year, it's a lot easier to hit that number if I'm servicing much larger enterprises than I'm servicing a, a customers that, that will borrow $10,000 as opposed to $150,000. And so the, the, it's unfortunate that Brex has done that for their customers, but it creates a huge opportunity for those of us who are focused on and committed to uh, the customers we serve. I love meeting our customers. I love meeting small businesses. There's a great story in every one of them in terms of how did they come to this? Why did they create this business or did they inherit it from their parents or siblings? And talking to them and, and, and learning their stories makes this a great opportunity. I get to look at it as they sign my paycheck. And so I love to talk to them and understand their challenges and opportunities. And you know, not being a directly regulated business, the opportunity for us to listen to the customer and design for them is unlike most large companies or certainly regulated industries where their primary customer is truly the regulator, not the end customer who's, who's paying their bill. So to, to me, the opportunity to go out um, and talk to customers, whether it's just I'm walking down the high street uh, and meeting them, um, it's always lovely when I'm wearing my Novo t-shirt and someone comes up and says, oh, you're with Novo, I love them. That's great. And I think, I think, um, Something that really echoes, Kashfi, I think what you said earlier about really getting to understand the business on like an individual level. Um, and I think that that passion really comes across from both of you for sort of solving their problems. So uh, in terms of the viability and the credibility, actually, I'd argue we're probably in really good hands. Um, okay, I'm just going to take us to a quick break here. So we'll be back very shortly. Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our 11FS Explore series, weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around, such as... On Rampy. Buy now, pay later. The cost of living. ESG. Stablecoins. Telematics insurance. And inclusive design. Search 11FS Explores on YouTube now. Okay, um, welcome back to the show. So let's move on and let's look at what the next steps are for SMEs and fintech um, and really what I suppose the future um, holds in this space. Um, I'm going to go in a little bit um, open-ended here just to just to get us started. Kashfi, I'm, I'm guessing you're fairly optimistic about the future of, of sort of SME banks and the sort of SME sort of banking space more broadly more generally right 
Yeah, absolutely. I really am. I think there's still a huge opportunity here for a lot of value to be added. Um, I think that some of the experiences that SMEs have today with their banking is really poor. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, it's part of the reason that I really love what we're doing at Alica and in general, the innovations that we're seeing, because it, it's making a very tangible difference. You know, you're not playing in the margins here. You're, you're changing the game. Um, and I actually think it, it's wider for, for SMEs than just banking, right? It's that whole financial ecosystem. I think uh, accounting providers are upping their game. Uh, you've got players in the payroll space, the expenses space. So um, you suddenly got these uh, SMEs that have been for their, their whole business lives working off of spreadsheets um, and doing kind of end of month by, you know, doing a bit of a, a V lookup. They, they can suddenly actually have products to do that instead. And that, that that's the zero to one. That's the exciting stuff. Yeah, right. And so this is a this is a critical point, right? Because this is like going beyond just offering SMEs banking products. This is about actually helping to make them like helping to make their businesses more efficient, right? With integrated services. This is this is a game changer, right? Exactly. And I think particularly for SMEs, it's all about the financial ecosystem. It's not just about the bank. If, if you speak to a financial director uh, or an owner of an SME, often the place they spend their most time is probably either in their accounting software or in Excel. Um, and I think that that's a myth, a, a trap that people often fall into. You know, it's, it's a very different world. Yeah, Kevin, I can see you sort of um, nodding along. So uh, I assume you're in agreement. Yes. The, if, if you go back to, especially in the true small businesses, not yet quite established, the, uh, they're a craftsman or a tradesman that, that they love what they do. They're really good at it, whether it's a home remodeler or, um, a, 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 uh, uh, the, the baker, uh, or the restaurateur. What they're not good at is all the back office stuff. I mean, we don't even, teach our kids how to balance a checkbook anymore. So they're, they're, so as they build that business and they get good at what they, f- they focus on and they, they bring in a few people to help them deliver that, front, that service in sort of the front of the business, then the back of the business, the back of the house becomes much more important, it gets more complicated, and they end up spending more of their time back there, what they're not good at, and less of the time growing their business. And so... With the, you know, creation of the SaaS business model, all of a sudden you can bring on these additional services in small chewable bites as opposed to, I mean, think about in a large corporation, you hire people, you fire people on a regular basis. But in a small business, it's a very personal thing because you're, as the owner of a small business, if I'm making someone a job offer, it's critical to me. It's not something I do every day, so I may not be very good at it. And I'm making a personal commitment to them and their family that I'm creating this job for you. And so we tend to put that off as long as possible because it's a step function. It's a very lumpy cost. Um, and, and so today, though, with the um, opportunity of all the SaaS businesses out there, there's probably not, there's probably not many products that I need to build a small business so that I can grow from a true SME into the established SMEs. Um, and then cross that chasm over to a big company. You can actually take, and if you if you start with the financial ecosystem, you can then take all of the advantages that a big business has today, and through these SaaS relationships, bring them down and make them available to the small business. And I think that's how, over time, these small businesses can continue to compete and and innovate and grow. 
Yeah, and 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 I love that you put um, Kevin the sort of the the human lens on it, right? Because you know you hear the term business, and you actually forget, right, that there's there's actually people that are behind these businesses. And I think um, the point that you made quite nicely as well is the 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 difference between the the front of house and then the sort of back office, right? And nobody nobody starts a business because they're passionate about the administrative side and all of the stuff that they have to do in the back office, right? They start the business because they're passionate about whatever that business is about. So I, I completely get that it's it's sort of as much as possible trying to enable them to spend more time doing what it is that they're actually passionate about and less of that sort of burdensome admin stuff. Um, Kashfi, how much of a driver do you think um, open finance is going to be then in that space um, and, and giving them the tools that they need to sort of better manage their finances, but then their business? I think open finance could be a game changer if it's done in the right way. Um, and I think it has to be done consistently as well. I think uh, currently it's very focused around um, particularly the bank side of things. Obviously, that that's driven by regulation, at least in the UK. Um, and I think currently there's still quite a large barrier to entry. There's a lot of setup that goes into starting to use open banking. It doesn't necessarily do everything for you. Sometimes you just get some cool graphs that you're never really going to look at. So I, I think it could be a game changer. I'm, I'm not counting it out, but I don't think we're there yet. Um, where the kind of investment required uh, will be returned. Uh, but I can definitely see a situation where that would be the case. I have been fortunate to work on both sides of the Atlantic, um, and the challenge in the States is still there's some question or there's debate about who owns the data. Um, clearly, in, in the UK and Europe, the view is it's the customer's data, uh, not all banks in this country agree with that. Um, the sort of dirty little secret of fintech companies is that banking data is critical to uh, so much of what we do uh, in the various fintechs. Um, you know, the fortunate experience we have here at Novo is because we provide that digital banking uh, checking account experience to the customers sitting on a, uh, an, an insured government-sponsored bank, we have access to that data uh, for our customers. That's not the case everywhere else. And uh, if you want to see a fintech executive start sweating, uh, let's talk to them about what happens if they lose their connectivity to, their, to that customer data that's sitting in some bank somewhere. Yeah, and I think, Kashfi, this goes back to your point about Yes, we're optimistic, but it needs to be done in the right way. And it needs to be done with that sort of like the customer focused mindset. How do we how do we design richer services, right, that are built on top of that data that enable, um, I don't know, like greater efficiency through like integrated cash management and, you know, that, that gives you access to like um, better credit scoring and better pricing models and all of that sort of stuff. And I think that's probably where we're going to start to see the needle really move. I think the fintechs are definitely best place to leverage that. Like they're they're digital first. They know how to they know how to deliver um in these contexts, these new types of products that are customer focused. But I think it's unlikely that we're going to see those traditional banks go down without a fight. Are we expecting to see uh Keshvi, I mean you're talking to these customers every day. They're express, expressing in, in these particular times hesitations to sort of change to, to to sort of different banks. Are we are we expecting to see a real resurgence from those traditional players in this space? Do you think? 
I'm not sure. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because I think the legacy players have got a lot of baggage to contend with. I think that they're in a tricky spot. They've got legacy systems. They need to do either some replatforming if they want to offer customers the same experience. Um, or they need to acquire a company and somehow do some kind of backwards um, kind of technical migration, which, I mean, we've seen some failed examples of those in the past. Um, or they can try and um, kind of create their own kind of technology companies. Again, we've seen examples in the UK where that hasn't really worked. So, you know, either way, there's no, um, there's no way they can sit tight and do what they're doing and succeed. And every plat- every path comes with a little bit of risk. So, I have my doubts. I'd be impressed if they manage it, but I have my doubts. I'll uh, I'll take a slightly different position. I will say that if the gods through sending us the great financial crisis and then the pandemic, the banks, the traditional banks are still with us. And I don't, I don't perceive that they're going to go away. We had, you know, massive uh, loan losses in the GFC. The government stepped in and and fixed that Uh, during the pandemic in this country uh, as we created the payroll protection program, most small businesses were did not get their PPP loans from their traditional bank. They had to go somewhere else because the banks weren't set up to serve them. So I don't, and, and the banks haven't gone away. I don't think they're going to go away. I think if they don't rise to the challenges uh, that that we are talking about, I think the risk they have is over time, fintechs identify, oh, look at this really cool thing that they do, that banks do. We can do it faster, cheaper, and better. And we carve that off. And one day the banks wake up and they're sort of like the infrastructure only. Uh, and they don't actually do much for their customers. And all the value add are done like by fintech companies. Um, I think that is a, a future that, I think can ha- is likely to happen. Um, it's a challenge for a large institution to change the way they do stuff. I mean, look at ourselves where it's hard to, for us to break habits that we have as individuals. Imagine working in a company with 75,000 people that have been doing stuff the same way for generations. And, and now they, they're being challenged and have to, 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 in effect, blow themselves up. The creative destruction that allows a large company to flourish, very hard to pull off. So I think the, that that they'll while they'll still be here, they'll be much they'll be smaller and the the value add uh, will that they provide will be much less. Yeah, no, I think that's a really nice point. And actually, I've quite enjoyed the sort of the arc of the story as we've gone through this show. Right? I mean, you know, we've we've made some progress. Some sort of low hanging fruit problems have been addressed. There are still some pretty meaty challenges. And actually, it's sort of, um, it's all to play for and how that's going to sort of play out and how that's going to look as it plays out is probably still TBD. But I'd love to sort of, I guess, close on um, each of your, if you were to sum up your reflection sort of from the show and then sort of around um, SME banking more generally, maybe sum it up in like a, a sentence, a paragraph, a meme, I'm not. I'm not precious. Um, Kevin, why don't we start with you and we'll give the last word to Kashvi. I, as I said at the start of the show, I have been in fintech for 25 years. Um, I see more opportunity today than I did when I started doing this 25 years ago. The 
uh, the customer is open, more open to uh, new approaches and ideas, and the technology platforms, the cost of compute, uh, the development of tools that you can very quickly generate new products and test them. I am highly optimistic of the future of fintech. Love that. The optimism is why we do it. Um, Kashfi, final word to you. Uh, I'm going to come back with a little bit of a, um, a question of your question, Ross. I think my answer will depend on how you define SME. Um, I think the nature of the SME game is diversity, complexity, difference. Um, there, there's as many problems out there to be solved as there are types of SME. Um, and ultimately, you know, some of those segments are being really well served, um, but there's a, a ton more out there. Um, and, you know, you solve one problem, you find another one. So uh, I think we all have to say that. Otherwise, Ross, uh, Kevin and I wouldn't have jobs. But uh, I think there's still uh, lo- lots to play for here and, uh, and lots of exciting stuff happening. No, and also a useful caveat, right? Because I think it puts into sharp focus like the the scale of the challenge in terms of um, what's left to do. And I don't, I don't think we should lose uh, sight of that either. We just step into it with... Uh, Lots of optimism and lots of energy. Um, All right, amazing. I am going to stop it there. That wraps up today's discussion. So guys, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Um, Let's just go around. If you guys could tell us uh, where people can find out more about you and more about your uh, company's cash fee. We'll start with you this time. Uh, Best place to find me is LinkedIn or for Alica, alica alica.bank or LinkedIn or I'm not sure what other social media platforms we have, uh, but there's some some great memes on our LinkedIn, I have to say. All right. Who doesn't love a good LinkedIn meme? Um, Kevin, over to you. Um, I'll iterate uh, or reiterate uh, LinkedIn for me, uh, Kevin Phillips, uh, for the company Novo. It's novo.co on the internet. And I look forward to talking to everybody. Excellent. And you can find me at Ross Gallagher 07 on Twitter. So thank you very much for listening. If you liked what you've heard, uh, please do subscribe to our podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review because it really does help us to make the show better. And it also helps other people to find it. If you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thanks very much. Goodbye.